Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. It's uh, time again for another episode of the MMA Torch Tuesday Night Livecast. My name is Rich Hansen. Uh, joining me this week is MMA Torch columnist Matt Pelkey. Our editor-in-chief, Jamie Pennick, is off this week. Uh, and after three weeks of not having a UFC event to, to uh, watch and, and dissect afterwards, we finally have a huge UFC pay-per-view coming up, headlined by George the headlined by Nick Diaz versus BJ Penn. Hmm. And all of a sudden, I've taken all the steam out of there. Amazing how Nick Diaz versus BJ Penn can feel like such a consolation prize, isn't it, Matt? Well, I mean, it's still a great fight. It's one I'm excited to see. It's one you're excited to see, but... When this fight or when this car was originally, uh, well, originally it was George St. Pierre versus Nick Diaz and uh, Carlos Connick versus BJ Penn. Then we, you know, swapped those around, and it was still a great two-fight card. And now we lose the main event, and all of a sudden it's, uh, I mean, it, it's it's nothing compared to the card at 136. And look at the kind of business that that card did. So, uh, you know, this is this is obviously a, a huge huge hit for the UFC to take in this card. Before we dive into 137, I want to there's a something that's been bugging me the last week or two. And, and that is, you threw, just threw out a, a line there that says, you know, about the, you know, the, the low business that 136 did. Why do we care about how many pay-per-views are being sold? I, I mean, the last I checked, UFC isn't a public company. Uh, last I checked, the, the rates aren't going up or down based on how many buys there are. Last I checked, they just signed a seven-year, $700 million deal with Fox, meaning they're not going anywhere, meaning if they start to, to drop to WWE-level pay-per-view buys, you know, they're not going to go away. Why is everybody, particularly in the blogosphere and the MMA media, give a rat's ass about how many pay-per-views are being sold? You know, I, I think that's a good point. I, I think it was a valid obsession really up until that Fox deal got announced. And once once that happened, I, I think not that we can all of a sudden go, okay, the UFC's arrived, it's a mainstream sport, it's just like football, it's just like baseball, it's not going anywhere, it's, it's you know on the big-time network platforms, nothing to worry about. Um, you know, once once we really get into that, that'll be more the case. Um, but uh, you're right. I mean, once once they got on network TV, that's kind of the point where, uh, and, and maybe that's it. Maybe there's there's uh, so much free um, free content from the UFC that people are looking at the pay-per-views, and if it doesn't involve uh, you know George St. Pierre or Brock Lesnar or one of the big names, then people are saying, well, what's what's the point? If I'm just tuning in, one to, of the big to names, watch guys, name another big name. Well, I, exactly. That's 
that's it. That, that those are the names that drive people to actually spend money on on watching guys fight, as opposed to just going, "Hey, there's guys fighting. I think I'll tune in to watch guys punch each other in the face for a couple hours." Uh, you know, they haven't done a great job of of building uh, stars, but maybe that's not what they need to do. It's 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 all about the overall product and and uh, guys having competitive fights. Uh, people will tune in once they don't have to pay for it anymore. You know, it, it takes a, a concerted effort by people to to find that money to uh, spend on, on pay-per-views when there's so much free content everywhere else you look. So, First uh, I mean, maybe... Sell. And, and the UFC's worked for at least the last five years to build the brand and not to build the star. Because un, un, until recently, they've had legitimate competitors, or at least semi-legitimate competitors. And if you build the star instead of the brand, you risk losing the star because you only control the star as long as their name is on valid paper. So every promo that you see, you know, unless it's a Brazilian-produced promo for the Brazil pay-per-view, is the exact same, you know, bad new metal and punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky, knockout, knockout, not realizing that there are other elements to the sport so that they can put in any name that they want to in those promos and show the same, you know, punches and kicks on the same promos with the same bad Limp Bizkit, Blink-182 wannabe, new metal crap music. And it doesn't matter because either people are going to, they're going to see UFC and go, oh, UFC is mixed martial arts, if they even say the phrase mixed martial arts, because people now want to know if you train UFC or if you fight UFC, as if baseball is a sport, or as if UFC is a sport like baseball. So now it's coming back to bite them in the ass because, like any brand, as opposed to personalities which sell, eventually there's buyer's fatigue, particularly when you're putting out 15 or 16 pay-per-views per year. You know, we had a pay-per-view on September 24th, then October 8th, and then this coming October 29th, then three weeks later on December 12th, and then I believe the next one after that is, is help me out here, December 10th, and then December 31st. Only once in there do you have a span of more than uh, of more than three weeks, and it started out between September 24th and October 8th with a span of two weeks. Those are all pay-per-view events. Those aren't listing all the other free shows. So you've got a combination of pumping the brand over the personality, and then you've got the fact that you're just flooding the market with events. And then you've also got the unfortunate factor that there is not going to be one heavyweight title fight on pay-per-view this year. Uh, you've got uh, John Jones at light heavyweight, who is yet proved to be a draw. Anderson Silva, who has proven not to be a draw. You've got George St. Pierre, who's only going to be on pay-per-view once this year. Now is back in April. You've got going from BJ Penn at lightweight champion to Frankie Edgar, which is a major personality void. BJ Penn's a draw. And then you've got featherweight and bantamweight, which were proven at UFC 136 not to sell. You there, Matt? Yeah. Sorry. Look, I, yeah, I, I, would love, I, I would love if we could declare a moratorium here on talking about pay-per-view buys. But until the pay-per-view business model goes away it still seems like a valid uh, talking point. Uh, I mean, they're still putting these they're, – they're still going to keep the, the guys who make money off of the free shows and keep them on the pay-per-view model. But uh, if, if you and I want to make a, a decision right here and right now to stop talking about pay-per-view business because we're past the point where that's going to be a make-or-break factor for the UFC, then I'm in. Count me in. 
<laughs> but why is it intrigue so many other people? I, I think it's just we're we're used to it. We we've been you know doing this for several years, talking about the growth of the business and its acceptance uh, by by the casual audience, and so it's it's an important point. You know, people love to look at it and go, man, look at look at how much money these shows are doing. Look at how many people are tuning in. But once they flooded the market with free content, they they signed with a huge platform like Fox and all of its affiliates. So uh, people are going to start wa- or stop wanting to to put that money down. But that's not going to affect the UFC's uh, business. It's just going to affect their business model. Do you think, like I'm beginning to think, that the UFC is always, no matter what, a niche sport, and it will never be anything other than niche sport? And if they're lucky, it can sustain hockey territory uh, or or NASCAR level. They're lucky where NASCAR had a peak, but obviously they're falling down. You know, hockey has never been able to break through the glass ceiling and is always at best the fourth sport and routinely gets outdrawn by, you know, by things like women's cheerleading on ESPN 17 uh, and, and, you know, the national curling semifinals uh, on versus six. I, I mean, maybe the niche is going to get a little bigger, but I don't think it's ever going to be like Dana White likes to boast that it's going to be, you know, the biggest sport in the world, and not even close. I mean, because there are just people who are repulsed by violence, and you can say it's not violent. Yes, it is. It's just it's competition, sure, but it's violent competition. And there are people out there who are never going to get turned on by it just because it's punching and kicking and grappling and blood. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and and you know he makes of a comparison of of, of uh, the UFC is going to be as big as you know soccer. It's going to be this worldwide phenomenon, and you know they have their their traveling circus that they say we're we're going everywhere, and and so far they've you know they've been going everywhere. They uh, have a few places that they hit maybe a couple times a year, but every year they're going to you know two or three different markets, uh, different countries, different continents, uh, and, and bringing their show there. Well, you know as long as you're not this isn't this isn't football where there's 16 games going on every Sunday. There's there's one event in one venue in one place that has the UFC name attached to it. Obviously, in February we're going to do two at one time for some unknown reason, but uh, for the most part, it's, it's one it's one spot going one place every you know two weeks on average. Um, it's it's you can you can point to all of the the great. Uh, uh, enthusiasm and interest from the local fans whenever you go to a new place, but that's because you're not there every single week. It's not there's no hometown crowd, uh, and, and it's 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 going to always be a great live spectacle that people are getting excited about going to. But the UFC does not make their money on the live gate. Yeah, it's it's nice when they go, hey, we made a six million dollar gate. That's a huge number. But when you're doing a million pay per view buys, that's fifty million dollars right there. So uh, the live gate is not how they're making money. It's the eyeballs of people at home watching TV on their, you know, 50-inch HD TV. Uh, so I, I just, you're right. It, it being a niche niche sport, it, is, it has a certain ceiling, and, and maybe it pokes up right up against that ceiling, but uh, it, it's just never going to be uh, 50 million people tuning in for a big event like the Super Bowl is. Uh, and they're kind of banking on that's that's why they sign these deals all around the world to get their product on television because it's all a matter of just getting as many eyes uh, as possible. But as far as in the U.S., this, it, it, the UFC is not going to be uh, baseball or basketball or football in the U.S. They they're going to make their money by being as many places as they can, um, just trying to grab as many as they can from around the world. 
So I, I guess that we've a few interesting questions for minds that are maybe greater than ours. Uh, not to put, you know, designations in your brain or anything. Yeah. Um, it, it begs the question of, of the other, you know, the other thing that I brought up, the oversaturation. I mean, I, I'm as hardcore as it gets and I burn out from time to time and I've relished having two whole weekends in a row without a UFC. And I watched the grand total of, I think negative one second of Bellator. Um, over the last three weeks when they were the only show in town. And part of it is, you know, I had the bubble burst a little bit between them pulling DJ versus Condit and reshuffling the card and then losing the main event. And, you know, 137 is a bit of a downer compared. And there's part of me that's almost wishing this event weren't going on this weekend because I'm kind of overloaded on on UFC, you know, mixed martial arts, however you want to phrase it, you know, depending on how hardcore you are, you know, that's, I'm startlingly uninspired and and almost uninterested in this card. And you know my thoughts on Nick Diaz. I think he's the most interesting fighter to watch in the world. You know my thoughts on BJ Penn. I swing from his nuts as hard as anybody. I I mean, I can't be alone because I'm not that unique of a a personality. Um, Yeah. You know, well, and Jamie Panic, our editor, sent out uh, roundtable questions this week. And one of the questions that he put out in the roundtable, which will run probably on Friday or Saturday, was, uh, you know, how badly has the UFC 137 card been hurt with the loss of GSP versus Condit? Make the case to fans on the fence for ordering this card. And my initial thought was, it's not my job to make the case to the fans because I don't work for UFC PR. And not only that, I could easily make the case, even to casuals, not to order this card. Now, I'm going to anyways, despite the fact I'm feeling a little malaise and I'll get over it and I'll watch the card and be fired up and hopefully get to watch all the Facebook fights. I mean, you know, a guy that I really like and Dan Downs is fighting on it, so I'm hoping to watch the whole thing, but, you know, I can't be alone with, you know, this level of, if not disdain, at least apathy, can I? No. uh, I'm burnout on paying money for cards like this. Uh, If this was on Spike TV or Fox or FX or or whatever it is, um, and and I just sat down on my couch and had to flip the the channel over to it, then I would be thrilled about a card headline by Nick Diaz versus BJ Penn. Uh, I'm still thrilled to see the fight no matter what. And and to be honest with you, I don't get burnout on watching – uh, UFC fights. I get burnout on having to keep up with everything outside the UFC, uh, and I get burnout on having to pay pay-per-view bills. But you know, I I love I love the content. I, I love the fight. The fact that you know, for the most part, the fights are taking place with a purpose. Winners move up the the ladders and and move up the the cards and the you know supposedly and losers get to make Mark Pavlich. Right, exactly. And, and I, I I'm fine with uh, outside organizations, you know, doing the, the legwork for the UFC of, hey, go win out here and we'll kind of take a look at the tapes that you send us and, and decide if we want to bring you in. But uh, to me, it's it's uh, an overload of all other MMA that is that is hard for me to deal with. But as long as the fights are, are taking place inside the octagon with a purpose of winners move on, move move up the cards, uh, potentially for moving their way closer to a title shot, then, then I'm still I'm still all in. You know what it is? I really wish I had like three months 
where I could just not pay attention at all. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void by law. plus. website for details. And know that I'm not missing anything. I mean, baseball season, you know, essentially for me starts in March. And I'm hardcore baseball, hardcore baseball. You know, Brewers, yay! And then middle of August comes around. You know, or even beginning of September. It's football season, and I don't watch a damn bit of baseball. And football season goes for four months, and then it's gone, and, and you get away from it. And then you're just drooling for it by the time summer rolls around, you know, which makes you look forward to fall. And if you take two weeks off, even during a, a stretch like this, where we've gone from October 8th to October 28th, where there, or October 9th to October 28th, where there are no UFC fights, you know, I'm just starting to get used to the fact that there's no one UFC, and now it's back, and, and I need to still need to recharge my batteries because there's no off-season. There's no escape from it. I mean, there's off-season, you know, for the fighters because they get, you know, four or five months off between fights, you know, unlike professional wrestling where they're on the road every week until, you know, they get hurt or, you know, and, and can't go on the road. But for the fans of any other sport, you get – a few months at least, you know, hockey maybe you get three months, you know, basketball you get three months, baseball you get six months, football you get eight months where you don't have to be completely invested in it. And it is such a deep investment. And I'm a hardcore and I'm burnt out. So I can only imagine the, the casual fan going, you know, I try and invite people over. You know, I don't know any hardcores around here. I know casuals, you know, family members, friends and all that. And it's next to impossible to get anyone to come over more than once, maybe twice a year now. Do you think that MMA me. would benefit from having an off season? I, I mean, it's hard to look at Bellator's model because you know nobody gives a shit about Bellator. No offense, Bellator. Ooh, but, you uh, said a naughty. Even, even the you even said a naughty. The, you you know, said Bellator. You you and I, Rich. How many how many fights combined between the two of us have we watched from this season of Bellator? I'm at about four. Uh, I, yeah, that's exactly the number I was going to say. I, I would think four. So when when Bellator goes into their off season, uh, it's not like people are building up their anticipation for the next Bellator. So it's it's hard to you know use that. As I'm building up my anticipation how. for their off season, but you know. How would that compare to the, What if the UFC decided to take you know uh, just a two month stretch off, uh, or even you know six weeks twice a year or something like that, just to give. Uh, fans a little bit of break and, and then kind of pack in the cards a little bit more closely together, uh, run basically weekly, uh, you know, during their, their on season. Would that Do you think that has any benefits towards them or would people just, you know, lose interest and kind of forget about the UFC in the meantime? 
Well, I remember July of last year. Uh, they ran UFC 116 on July 2nd or 3rd, and then they didn't have an event until UFC 117, which was Anderson Silva versus Shale Sonic. So after Brock versus Carlin, there was either five or six weeks, I don't remember off the top of my head, in between, and there was nothing else. I mean, that's when I wound up writing, you know, a 10-part series uh, on, you know, like history of the sport and each division and all that, just, just to have something to write about because there was nothing. And this is back when Strike Force was separately owned. This is back when, you know, Japan wasn't completely in the shit house. Uh, you know, and, and there were actual other things in the sport other than the UFC, you know, that took up more than 5% of the market. And by the time 117 rolled around, I was just, you know, swinging from, from the rafters waiting for that event to roll around. And now three weeks is, you know, is the longest break you're seeing, at least till the end of the year. Because like I said, other than, you know, November 12th for once, or uh, November 19th through December 10th, you know, that's the only four-week break that we've had since, you know, back July to August. So, well, yeah, and, would, and would, could it recharge the fans? Absolutely it could, but... Is it good business? Probably not, because that's then, say, eight weeks, you know, as an example, because I want to pick a time period longer than they have ever done without an event. You know, that's eight weeks without them making money. Yeah. And just looking at the rest of the, the schedule for this year, you know, UFC 137 this weekend, UFC 138 next weekend, UFC on Fox the weekend after that, um, then, let's see, no, still next weekend, 139. Then we finally get a weekend off. Yeah. Then then UFC 140 and uh, December 10th. Oh no 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 no, no 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 no. Bisping versus Miller. Oh, excuse me. Then you are right. There's the uh, the tough 14 finale. So every non-holiday weekend from this weekend till the end of the year, there's either a UFC or a Strikeforce show. Because after 140, there's Melendez versus Masvidal, and then yeah, Christmas Eve, uh, and then the following week instead of just taking you know one holiday week off. Friday night, Brock versus Overing. Now, admittedly, you know, I'm, I'm already kind of stiff for that fight. Don't get me wrong. I, it's not like I'm never coming back to the sport. Yeah, uh, there's there's a, a bit of, and that's, you know, that's just the, the Zufa schedule. That's not even the, uh, all the other, the, the you know, four Bellator events that we have the rest of uh, season five. And If you say pro uh, elite, I'm hanging up on you, just, you know. Is Shark Fights better? Is that a step above. Okay, much better. But yeah, okay. if you drop if you drop pro elite, you get the co-host by yourself the rest of the night. <laughs> That'd be a one-man show. That doesn't sound mm-hmm. fun at all. So I, I mean, like I said, I can't imagine I'm the only one. You know, even on the hardcores. I mean, you know, my Twitter feed is still you know 150 MMA writers, and that's pretty much it. And that's you know and. and the only thing I do on Facebook is, is you know, linking and posting fight stuff. It's, it, it's just, but even with all that, it's just a bit of overload. And I'm really wishing this event didn't even exist, and next week's event didn't even exist. I mean, I told the wife, you know, let's go out on on the fifth of November. You know, just she goes, wasn't there a UFC? I'm like, yeah, but I don't care. You know, and she just kind of looked at me like, what? And, and then I had to go in to explain, well, it's it's a downer show. She goes, oh, I'm only worth a downer show. I'm like, it's not even that. I just don't care as much right now, and I'm sure it'll come back. You know, so, I mean, that all portends to, to problems with, you know, you know, this being, you know, a niche sport. Like, the, the bigger point, I have a hard time getting people to come over on Saturday nights for the fights now, or it used to be, say, a year or two ago. I mean, it peaked with, you know, uh, Carwin versus Lesnar at, at 116, and just kind of 
faded off, and I realized they've had injuries and it's been a bad selling year. And last year, you know, everyone wanted to think last year with four pay-per-views that sold a million buys was the standard as opposed to the outlier. And there's certainly nothing wrong with, you know, doing 350,000 you know, pay-per-view buys on average 15 times a year at 55 bucks a shot on HD. I mean, they're rolling in the money, you know. But it's not going to peak the way they want it to, and I don't think the steady growth is, you know, the floor number used to be 350, and it was 300. Now it's almost normal to see under 300,000 buys. I think this is the level of interest that it's going to be for a while. And I, I, I am curious as to see what the Fox deal does for it. But let's forget, it's only four fights a year, or four events per year at two hours a shot. So, I mean, it's not like it's it's going to be the most revolutionary game change in the history of, of the world with how many free fights people get to see. I mean, you know, it's possible that I'm wrong, but I almost think this Fox deal is a year too late that they should have struck when the iron was as hot as it was and, and found a deal, even if it wasn't this perfect by their standard of whatever perfect is, and, and won it a year ago, right after Brock and Carwin signed something to be up that fall. What, what's the end game then? Uh, I mean, if, if, if pay-per-view business continues to to trend downward like it is, and, and let's say uh, they, they deb- debut UFC on Fox and, and draw, you know, 7 million viewers or uh, some reasonably strong number and uh, put on a good show and the numbers kind of increase from there. Which I still think, think is a highly optimistic number because, again, personnel, it's proven personalities sell, not titles. And, and in the promos, how much personality have you gotten out of Kane Velasquez and yeah. Junior Santos? None. Because all you hear is rolling stones and you see punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky. True. Uh, but, you know, this is the first shot and, and they they're, it's a, a heavyweight title fight, so that's the, the selling point and, and Fox is uh, selling the crap out of it on all their uh, football broadcasts. But my, my, my point is there's 17 weeks of, of football each year, of regular season football. Uh, and everybody gets geared up for those 17 weeks. That's American it, football for all you British people out there. Is it feasible to think that in a, a couple years, if if this kind of you know trial period goes well for the UFC on Fox, that we get uh, you know 12 you know once a month they do a big show on on Fox. That's only 12 times a year, and then do fight nights and smaller shows in the the Ultimate Fighter show and, and the Ultimate Fighter finales on uh, FX, and, you know, maybe there's UFC Unleashed on Fuel or whatever. But is that, you know, is is it Freelance possible? are going to be on Fuel, too. Does it, does it make sense for the UFC to move completely away? Will they ever move completely away from the pay-per-view model if they start, you know, if, no. if cards like no, coming up on Saturday? Or, bucks, they're still making $15 million a month or on it per event. You know, if you figure an average of fifty dollars a shot, let's say four hundred thousand buys, that's twenty million bucks being split between them and and the cable companies. You know, last I heard, it's on a fifty-five forty-five split. You know, which means eleven million bucks coming into their coffers from pay-per-view. No, they're not getting away from that. It's just getting so expensive to be a fan. <laughs> Ain't it though? Yeah. Who, who was it that uh, on uh, MMA fighting? I think was it Chiapetta that put together a really you know, downer of an article about how much it costs just just on pay-per-views alone. You know, when you add up 55, you know, even 10 a year, you know, over 500 bucks, you go to one event. You know, I've gone to a few this year on my own dime, not on, you know, the the corporate MMA Torch card, Wade. 
Um, it's only special occasions. And yeah, I, I mean, all of that maybe it's just culminating in the fact that, or, or you know, all, all coming together that having time off, I realize I don't miss it one iota, you know, and, and you know, way to sell the show, Rich, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, hosting tonight and going. Yeah, I mean, this is going on, but how much of it is because St. Pierre is off the card? How much of it is because I just don't miss it? How much of it is because the Bears are actually good and I thought they'd be 0-7 right now? You know, and like I said, I as a hardcore realized that, you know, maybe it's not right, you know, maybe I don't miss it as much as I did. If I'm hardcore and I don't miss it, then obviously there are casuals that aren't missing it as well. I mean, it would be nice if they'd come back, but... You know, I mean, look what happened in Japan. I mean, it's a different culture, but human nature is human nature. It peaked, it faded, and it, it's, you know, leveled off at a very low level, and I don't think we have to worry about it falling that low, but I suppose it's possible. Um, we're at the bottom of the hour. Well, we spent about the first 25 minutes of the show talking about just how awful everything mixed martial arts and UFC-related is. So now we're going to try and pick you up by actually uh, telling you about the UFC 137 pay-per-view coming up on Saturday night. Um, we did get a little bit sidetracked. If you want to join the conversation, please feel free to give us a call if you're listening live on Tuesday night. Um, our phone number here is, oh, let me pull it up. I should have this memorized. I'm a professional. Area code 646-716-8090. Press 1 that you want to talk. That will put you in the queue. Um, at, at the top of the hour, we're going to be joined by Brian Heminger from MMAmania.com, who is Mr. Bellator. Uh, we're going to ask him about what is the biggest fight in Bellator history to this point, at least in my opinion, Ben Askren versus Jay Haran for the Bellator Welterweight Championship. And just how happy they are, uh, or Bellator is, that George St. Pierre's title fight is not happening this weekend, so that they aren't the second welterweight title fight on the same night. Um, also going, we're also going to talk to with him about uh, Hatsui Kaioki and uh, his arrival in the states and how he will uh, face off against George Roop on Saturday night at UFC 137. But Matt, let's uh, let's turn my frown upside down and, and talk about. Go ahead. I said let's let's talk some fights. Yeah, let's talk fights. Let's talk about uh, BJ Penn. Let's talk about Nick Diaz. Let's talk about the fact that there's absolutely no conceivable path to victory for Nick Diaz whatsoever, and he's one of my favorite fighters to watch. BJ Penn is better at everything that Nick Diaz does. Uh, He's better at boxing. He's better at grappling. He's better against the cage. Uh, He's actually thrown a kick that's landed, so he's better at kickboxing. He's licked blood off of his gloves. He's better at the head games. He's better at trash talking. There's nothing that Nick Diaz has that BJ Penn isn't at least a little bit better. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Nah, you're right. Uh, I, I, cardio. I, Nick Diaz you could have said cardio. Right. I left it there for you. I left it hanging on a tee, and all you had to do was say cardio or triathlon yeah. or Cardio is not going to make a difference in a three-round fight where Nick Diaz isn't big enough to make BJ Penn's cardio an issue. They're going to stand in front of each other and throw punches. That's not going to tire BJ Penn out. He's not going to be pressed up against the cage. He's not going to be on his back. Uh, So, yes, uh, Nick Diaz can run a longer distance than BJ Penn can. I just don't see that being a huge factor in this fight. BJ Penn's going to control where this fight goes because he, while not a great wrestler, certainly has a huge advantage in wrestling in this fight. I mean, Nick Diaz, that is the hole in his game. Um, BJ's never been knocked out. He's at, you know, corner stoppage, obviously. He's never been submitted. 
Uh, Nick Diaz does not have one-punch knockout power. You know, the best chance anyone would have against BJ, obviously, would either to be out-quick him, like Frankie Edgar did, or to knock him on his ass. BJ doesn't get knocked out, and Nick Diaz doesn't knock people out. He's not going to submit BJ Penn, who, who... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Who's got four arms instead of two arms and two legs. Uh, I just don't see how... Nick Diaz can win the fight unless he's gotten dramatically better between his last fight and and Saturday night. Yeah, and Nick Diaz gets hurt in, like, every fight. If that happens against B.J. Penn, B.J. Penn is, is one of the most ruthless finishers that we have in MMA. Uh, he knocks Nick Diaz down with a shot, I think fight's over. Um, I mean, we haven't seen Nick Diaz finish since... Uh, the, well, uh, not the KJ Newman's fight. He was stopped on cuts. He was losing that fight. Don't get me wrong. He was getting thumped up in that fight, but that was a, a, a cut stoppage loss. Before that, it was yeah, uh, what the, Jeremy, UFC, the first Jeremy, Jeremy Jackson. Wilman's Jeremy Jackson fight. Yeah, um, yeah, so that was two, nine years ago. Yeah, so it's it's been a while. But you know, has has Nick Diaz faced somebody the caliber of BJ Penn during that time? Uh, a guy that has the tools? Well, nobody has the tools that BJ Penn has, so that's a silly question to ask. But um, yeah, yeah, you know, this is this is two of my favorite fighters to watch, and, and I'm intrigued about just seeing the two face off against each other in the cage. But I'm with you. I, I don't see any way other. If this was a five round fight, maybe I'd, I'd give maybe. some semblance of hope against uh, for Nick Diaz, just wearing him out with with or a late finish and a broken over again, something like that. But no, this in a three round fight, there's no way that Nick Diaz doesn't, or excuse me, that BJ Penn doesn't win at least two of the three rounds. Yeah, I, I mean, and like I was saying about the wrestling, he, he out-wrestled John Fitch for a good majority of that fight. And, yeah, he got tired in the third round. BJ did, you know, and, and it's very possible he's going to get tired in the third round. I mean, he's he's never been known for his gas tank. The only time he went five or into the fifth round and didn't look really tired in the fifth was against Diego. But just like in, in football, it's a lot easier to, to stay, you know, fresh, and relaxed when you're on offense instead of when you're on defense. He was on offense that prior fighting against Diego, obviously. Um, and I just don't see it. I, I, I think, you know, Carlos Gracie has come out, and or Cesar Gracie, excuse me, has come out and said that, you know, if uh, Nick Diaz beats B.J. Penny, he's going to campaign for a shot ahead of, of uh, Carlos Condit at George St. Pierre. Thank well, A, he had a shot. Yeah, he, he had a shot, and B, you know, not fair to Condit at this point because he's been the company man doing what's asked for him to then yank the carpet out from him. Not that, you know, 
you know, Dana White wouldn't do it in a heartbeat if it made, you know, his company an extra couple million dollars. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think we got to worry about that because Nick Diaz isn't getting past BJ Penn. Well, even if he gets back, make the case. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I want you to make the case. Make the case for what would have to happen, and you can't use the word magic or miracle for Nick Diaz to defeat BJ on Saturday night. We're speaking in terms of reality. I got it. Yes, on earth. For 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 Nick Diaz to beat BJ Penn? Yes. How? What is his path to victory? I don't see one. His path has to be one because anyone can be beat. Stand in front of BJ Penn, stick his chin out, uh, do his 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 you know trash talking games that he loves to do in in mid fight. Uh, hope that it gets in BJ's head and and BJ kind of overexerts himself in rounds one and two, uh, and Nick Diaz takes over in round three. Just uh, wears BJ down with with jab after jab and, and throws hooks to the body and and maybe gets in the clinch and trips BJ down and gets on top of him and see but still I, I don't I'm talking in the third round here and I think he can win that third round if this scenario plays out but I don't see him winning rounds one and two and I certainly don't see him finishing BJ Penn in round three. Um, that being said, after all we've done to pile on Nick Diaz here, we're we're gonna watch him out there just do do his Nick Diaz thing and uh, I love over watching BJ Nick Penn Diaz doing around. Nick Diaz. I, there, there's nobody I think just from a fighting standpoint who fights like him. And I make this case before and ever before and after every Nick Diaz fight. There's nobody that fights like him, which makes him valuable to the sport just because. I mean, I mean, people want to say the Diaz style of punching or, or boxing, even when they're watching Nate. No, Nate Diaz doesn't do what Nick Diaz does. He's a poor man's version of Nick Diaz. He does other things better than Nick, but he, you know, Nick Diaz is completely unique, whereas Nate Diaz is only partially unique, which by definition means you're not unique. Um, so, I mean, I love watching the guy fight, but he doesn't have what is necessary to beat BJ Penn. And, you know, the last time... Th- what was the last time BJ Penn was in a fight that we gushed this heavily about him and gave his opponent absolutely no chance? Frankie Edgar one or Frankie Edgar two. So, you know, I mean, trust me, we were swinging from, from his nuts just as hard there, you know, as we are now. And we are both completely wrong. That said, you know, we weren't in the minority going in on that one. I mean, I, I remember seeing plenty of why the hell is Frankie Edgar getting the title shot. Gray Maynard should be getting it. You know, they had to put that fight on with uh, Anderson Silva title fight just because the credibility of, of, of Frankie Edgar as a challenger seemed so low that, you know, why would anyone pay to watch, you know, BJ Waddle a guy and, and look what happened. So, I, I mean, you know, are we missing something? Let me ask you this. Do you think there was any thought in the UFC when, when George St. Pierre got injured uh, do, do you think they gave any consideration to the fact to, to the thought of why don't we pull BJ out of the card altogether and match up Nick Diaz versus Carlos Carlos Condit and just call it a number one contender fight? Uh, I, I understand that losing George St Pierre is a giant blow to you know the pay per view buys. Uh, BJ Penn, I'm not sure, is a big enough name in a non, you know, not very significant fight. It doesn't mean a lot for BJ Penn, let's be honest. He's not going to win the fight and move on to another shot at George St. Pierre. So it's hard to sell the fight on BJ Penn when it's kind of an irrelevant fight for him. Wouldn't Carlos... Penn and it is on Condit, though. 
True, but I mean, with this loss, I mean, aren't we looking at another three hundred thousand buy pay per view buy event anyway? I mean, aren't we looking at a, a basement number um, with George St. Pierre off his card? Wouldn't no, I think BJ is going to keep it up a... higher. BJ is going to keep it up higher than the basement. And if you're main eventing uh, Condit versus Diaz, Diaz who hasn't fought in UFC in years, and there are still a lot of people that don't even know Strikeforce exists. And I still have to explain to people who come over for UFC fights what Strikeforce is, if I ever say that word. And, and in Carlos Condit, I still get more people scratching their head. Have I ever seen him fight? And this is above, you know, among the casuals who are above the 250,000 floor. So, no, that wouldn't sell a lick, and that's why BJ is still on it. That's why BJ was put on it in the first place, because they wanted this to be a million pay-per-view seller. And the fact that they're, they're, they were setting their goals so high, and again, here we go talking about damn pay-per-view buy rate business. So transitioning off of this, I'm not giving you the last word. I'm keeping the last word. They realize it's already going to plummet at least in half as it is. They don't want, it. They, they don't want the floor to be set any lower on this. Moving on okay. from BJ versus Diaz, we've got a co-main event, which is yeah, Czech Congo versus Matt Mitrial. Isn't uh, this a case where we just uh, we don't designate any fight as the co-main event? I mean, shouldn't there be yeah, an actual yeah, incredible much. fight to be called a co-main event? Yeah, but Bruce Buffer is still going to call something the co-main, ev- co-main event, and it's either going to be Congo versus Mitrione or it's going to be Krokop versus Nelson. So trust me, I think I'm doing them a favor when I say the main event is going to be Congo versus Mitrion because this, as far as heavyweights go, they're at least above the floor level, you know, where you know if they fight for 15 minutes, it's just going to be excruciating Travis Brown levels of hell, uh, you know, Ben Rothwell level of hell. There's a fight I want to see, Rothwell versus Brown. Anyways, see, 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 I can have fun. Not in Colorado. Congo versus Mitrion. Chuck Congo's last fight obviously was, was you know, one of the epic all-time, you know, one-punch knockout finishes against Pat Barry in, in an amazing two and a half minutes of, of fighting. And Matt Mitrione, you know, for, for all the crap he used to take, I mean, he's a professional, dedicated athlete. And he clearly has improved every time out. And he works his craft, and he's got a fantastic attitude about it. And, you know, if you weren't 33 years old and you were 28 years old, would have major star potential a much bigger star than anybody thought Meathead from Season 10 was going to be. UFC really needs and wants to have Mitch Rione win this fight because Czech Congo is Czech Congo is Czech Congo. Um, I don't see this fight going long, maybe barely into the second, because I believe Mitch Rione's last fight went in the second round um, before he knocked out uh, – oh, crap, help me out here. What was it? Christian Moorcraft, thank you. Okay. So, I mean, this is clearly the best the – best, yeah, no, that was, that was third fight, Tim Hag in between there. And that's, I knew it wasn't Tim Hag, but that's what I was thinking. This is, I, I mean, this is All the biggest fight in Mitrion's career. How, I, I mean, I, I think this is Mitrion's fight to win, but, I mean, Czech Congo is easily the best opponent Mitrion's fought. So is, is this just simply a matter of whoever lands the big strike first? Well, I, I haven't really seen Matt Mitrion having the capability to land that one big punch to, to put a big heavyweight down. Um, He's more of a volume striker, which is an odd concept for a heavyweight. Uh, you know, he's maybe he's one of those guys that as he gets more comfortable, he'll too. yeah. Uh, as he gets more comfortable in the cage, maybe he starts putting together big knockouts. But at this point, uh, I mean, I think Czech Congo is not only a huge step up for him, but too big of a step up. Um, Czech Congo, uh, you know, I don't think Matt Mitrione is going to be landing combinations like Pat Barry did. 
uh, and Congo was still tough enough to survive that and land his own picture-perfect two-punch combo uh, to put out Pat Berry. Uh, I think Matt, we've seen from Matt Mitrione that he's got a, a really good chin, but once he starts getting hit, he really starts to slow down with his game. He's just been lucky enough to be matched up with opponents who kind of were fighting at that half speed to begin with. Um, Czech Congo's not going to afford him those those luxuries. I, I think Congo lands some big shots early and, and kind of works him over. And at the very least, I think he comfortably wins uh, the first couple of rounds and can kind of cruise in the third round while Mitrione just doesn't have enough in the, uh, the gas tank to, to pull it off. But uh, I think most likely Czech Congo lands some big punches and, and knocks out Matt Mitrione and hands him his first professional loss. And Dan Evans at some point. Dan Evanson, Mustafa El Turk, Anthony Hardock, Paul Buentello, Pat Berry. Uh, that's the answer. The question is, who are the last five victories on Czech Congo's resume? Not a top 25 fighter amongst them. So, I mean, I'm not sold on just how good Czech Congo is. I'm, I'm sold on how well-crafted out of marble he was by the Greek gods. But I'm not sold that he's, yeah, whatever. Greek gods crafted him, and then he he emigrated to France. Come on, get with the program here. Don't don't ruin the don't ruin the theme, damn it. Um, I'm still willing to let you host by yourself for the next hour. That's all right. And, and the two guys that he's fought that have a real pedigree: Frank Muir, slaughtered. Kane Val- Kane Velasquez, he. Admittedly, Congo looked really good for the first minute and a half or so, putting Velasquez down back when when, Velas- when Congo was Velasquez's toughest test. But, you know, Velasquez cruised to a victory after the first few minutes of that fight. I'm not convinced that Congo is, is great or, or even better than good. And I'm convinced that when the UFC makes a fight with, involving somebody that they want to win, they put him in, in with somebody that they expect that he can beat. And they need Matt Mitrione to become a star because he knows how to sell. Not that he's ever been a co-main event on a pay-per-view before, you know, but that wasn't the spot he was supposed to be in. You know, he can sell, and he's athletic as hell, and he's the type of guy that they would like to sell behind. And he has made vast improvements. You know, you know, training with Rupus as much as he was. Now he's training down with Crystal Idol's team in Indiana, you know, working on stuff other than, you know, to diversify his game and good for him. And I think he's got just enough tools to, to be able to control where the fight goes. And if he's not comfortable with, with, with it standing, I believe he has the ability at this point, you know, to, to, to evade and, and to get Congo down. I wonder if this is the the kind of fight we've seen Czech Congo's game evolve over the last couple of years, not you know drastically. Like you, like you said, he's he hasn't defeated any real high level fighters, and he's unlikely to ever do so. But he he has in a couple of fights when he faces a guy who he feels maybe you know not maybe an equal, maybe a little bit better than him on the feet, maybe you know a, a threat to him and someone on the feet. Chet Gongo will now shoot in for takedowns, and he has some some pretty pretty vicious ground and pound for a, a heavyweight. Uh, I wonder yeah, how won't. how much Matt Mitrione has improved uh, his grappling. That if if Chet Gongo decides he wants to take him down, if he can a keep that from happening, and if he can't, can he get back up to his feet? 
because I think that's kind of the X factor in this fight. I, I think if if they stand up and, and trade with each other, uh, I think it's a slight edge to check Congo. I just think he's he's you know the better technical fighter. He's been doing this for a lot longer than that Mitrione has. But if if Czech Congo decides that it's you know it's not in his best interest to uh, you know stand and bang with Matt Mitrione, uh, I think if he takes him down, that's that's going to be a, a big problem for Matt Mitrione. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get back to his feet in, in one piece. Moving on from Congo Mitrion, we have to talk about, unfortunately, the obligatory UFC pay-per-view heavyweight fuckfest fight. And sadly, it involves one of my favorite people, Roy Nelson, versus one of everybody's favorite fighters, Mirko Krokop. Um, just get this out of the way. Uh, Krokop uh, singing in the car with Pat Barry. Um, awesome. Amazing. How many times have you watched that video? At least 10. Yeah, 42,369. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And uh, 42,370. So I hate what I'm about to say. Mirko Krokop does not belong in the UFC. Not only that, but they keep putting him in prime positions because the the ghost of Krokop they think is going to sell another 13 pay-per-views. Uh, he's done. And I really hope that this is the last time I have to see him in the cage. He looked awful against uh, mechanical Brendan Schaub. He looked awful against Frank Mir. Um, wh- how he got out of the Pat Berry fight, I'll never know. I mean, the last time he looked even close to decent was Anthony Parash, but come on, this is Anthony Parash we're talking about. You know, he tapped the strikes uh, to Junior Dos Santos. He struggled with Mustafa Al-Turk. He had to poke him in the eye. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, when when he came into the UFC, he was coming, that was the peak of his career. In, in one night, he beat Bondelay Silva and Josh Barnett, Barnett for the third time, uh, Silva, I believe, for the second time. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, there was just one, I'm thinking of someone else. Sorry about that. And that was it. He comes in, he beat Betty Sanchez in a very lackluster performance, took him four minutes, and then Krokop got his head kicked off by Gonzaga, and then he lost a, a, a decision to the aforementioned Chicago, and he was back in dream for a while. He, he hasn't shown the killer instinct that he had you know, as close to literal killer instinct as, as the sport's ever seen. You know, I mean, right like hospital, left like cemetery. My God, I mean, he was a killer. I mean, he, he knocks people out with leg kicks for crying out loud. You know, you know, please do yourself a favor. Watch, watch, watch uh, go to YouTube and, and watch the, uh, oh God, who was it that he, help me out here, the leg kick knockout. Uh, Yoshida, thank you. Yeah. Watch the Hedehiko Yoshida Crow Cop video. Just watch the whole fight. You'll be in awe of the guy. That guy's dead. And when you're this massive of an underdog to Roy Nelson, who, great guy, you know, well-rounded, he's a solid B-minus at everything, and he's barely UFC caliber. I, I mean, this is going to be one of the saddest fights I've ever seen in my life. 
because either Krokop is going to look awful to a, an average at best Roy Nelson, or Krokop's going to win, and then suddenly people are going to push him, you know, versus Nogueira in a title eliminator, or, you know, something absurd like that. There's, this is a no-win situation for me, and I think for all you fans. Yeah, I don't see any path to victory for Krokop in this fight. Uh, we've seen Roy Nelson take some hellacious beatings in his last few fights, and he just keeps on coming back for more. Uh, he's not a, a great technical striker by any means, but he's a solid boxer, and he has no issues with just winging big overhand rights, knowing that he's got the chin to you know, take return fire and not really have to worry about it. Uh, and it, it's not like uh, you know, in the, the, the Krokop-Pat Berry fight, Krokop got knocked down, was getting beat up pretty good in the first round, uh, Pat Berry, I think, what, broke his hand and his foot? Broke his hand, broke his foot. Yeah. Yeah, the two uh, times he knocked him down, broken foot, broken hand. Yeah, and kind of wilted later on. And, and Krokop, uh, you know, is even Krokop is, is good enough of a, a grappler to take advantage of Pat Berry's uh, glaring deficiencies in that department. Uh, he has yeah, he no has such, a hole in his hand. Yeah, he has, he has no such luck uh, or, or, you know, no such opportunity to do that against Roy Nelson. Uh, he's not, A going to get the fight to the ground with Roy Nelson if Roy Nelson doesn't want to be there, and B, he's not going to have any success if he does get there. If he's on the mat, it's, gonna, it's going to be because he's uh, on his back, probably in the crucifix position, taking punches from Roy Nelson as he counts them out to everybody. Uh, Roy Nelson is not a top 10 caliber heavyweight, but he's you know on, on the fringe. He's, he's got some, some decent skills. Like I said, he's, he's a great grappler. He knows how to use his size. Uh, he's got pretty good power, and he has got a, a good chin. Uh, all that adds and up And to... you got to think he's learned a lesson after the mere fight about his cardio. I mean, if he hasn't developed any cardio since, any extra cardio since that point, then why would anyone want to watch him fight? True. But, I mean, is that really going to become be an better. issue? Doesn't, doesn't he just have to touch Krokop's chin, basically, in this fight? Uh, is, is it going well, to stand in box for, for three rounds? I mean, it, yeah, I, I, I I don't see either of them finishing this fight unless Nelson gets it to the ground and submits them. Um, I mean, I mean Nelson, yeah, he has a lot of power, but, uh, you know, I mean, he knocked out Stefan Struve, who isn't exactly Johnny Chin, and Brendan Shaw before Brendan Shaw became much better than he is. And I understand that his last six victories are all by knockout. You know, I get that, but I just don't see it happening to Crow Cop, you know, even in, you know, the dilapidated state that he is at this point. I, I just don't think Krokop's getting knocked out, which means I think we're going to have to watch 15 minutes of, ugh. I think if uh, we, moving, watch, we could watch 15 minutes of of, pass, uh, of passivity from, from Roy Nelson, uh, and maybe Krokop just wins a three-round sparring match. But uh, I think if that happens, Roy Nelson needs to go, because if he doesn't realize his best path, best, uh, path to victory here is to come out and put pressure on him, just swing wildly until somebody pulls him off, then you know, that's that's a, a big problem for him. Moving on to, to the uh, next pay-per-view uh, fight that I want to talk about. Uh, it might be a fight that I want to talk about, but clearly it's not a pay-per-view fight that Dana White and Joe Silva wanted to make because this falls in. The only reason Scott Jorgensen versus Jeff Curran made the pay-per-view is because, A, they won't break up the Spike TV card, B, George St. Pierre got hurt, and C, Dustin Jacoby versus Clifford Starks was the other option for pay-per-view after Brad Tavares pulled out. So hey, somebody's Scott own Jorgensen, yeah, Scott Jorgensen, easily a top ten bantamweight in the world, is going to be fighting a real trailblazer in Jeff Curran. 
Um, and while I'm very happy to see Jeff Curran get a shot in the UFC, I'm very unhappy to see that it's against a killer like Scott Jorgensen. I really think that this is one and done in the UFC for Jeff Curran. Uh, disagree? Nope. Totally with you. Uh, I love watching Scott Jorgensen fight, especially against guys that he's better than, and I think he's better than Jeff Kern, especially at this point in their careers. Kern's very... He's, he's very... Uh, and and for the record, I do know that Jeff Kern fought at UFC 46. Continue. Well, that was that was uh, younger, much heavier fight. Jeff Kern, yeah, at, at 155. Yeah. Yeah. Now this fight's down at 135, which is probably all of always his, his natural weight. But when, when mm-hmm. a guy is, you know, what, 35 years old, and has finally found, oh, hey, uh, I can finally fight at the big time at my natural weight. Odds are he's probably uh, fought a lot of guys that were way too big for him and probably has a lot of mileage on his body. Uh, that's not the kind of story you want to bring into a fight with uh, Scott Jorgensen, who is right smack dab in the middle of his prime and gets better every time out. Uh, I don't see Jeff Kern being the kind of guy that's going to derail uh, Scott Jorgensen at this point. Can Scott Jorgensen make 125? He's what five three? He's, he's a, <laughs> something he's like a that. little dude. But yeah. Most of these band weights, except for for uh, uh, Miguel Torres, are like five foot three. I'm I'm salivating over the thought of a UFC flyweight division started by Joseph Benavidez, Demetrius Johnson, Scott Jorgensen, and a debuting Alexis Vila. Uh, moving on. Uh, I don't want to talk about Hiyoki versus Roof because we're going to talk about that with uh, Brian Heminger when he joins us after the top of the hour in about 10 minutes. Uh, so I want to move on to the Spike TV fights. Uh, talk talk first about what sh- should be fight of the night and could very easily be fight of the year. That's how much I'm looking forward to Dennis Seaver versus Donald Cerrone. I've done a complete 180 on, on Donald Cerrone, or as my wife would inaccurately say, a 360 because that means you're right back where he started from. I no longer think that he's a douchebag because he didn't share Brittany Palmer with me. So I've done a complete 180 on Donald Cerrone. I love watching this guy fight. And Dennis Seaver is a stiff challenge for Cerrone. I think by far the best fights or the best opponents that Donald Cerrone's ever had. And this is the most important fight of his career. He's going to get a, excuse me, a lot of exposure on Spike TV. Seaver is, is on a roll. He might not have looked great against Matt Wyman. I thought Matt Wyman won that fight, but he still got past it, and he's still come riding a high of the Sauteropolis victory in, in uh, February. Um, Seaver brings a lot of, of weapons to the table that Cerrone hasn't seen yet, and I think this is, is easily the most anticipated fight of the night as far as potential quality of the fight and the questions that are going to be answered on both guys' part. Um, yeah, I do see Cerrone winning this fight. I think, you know, decision. I don't see him finishing Seaver because Seaver's a tough son of a bitch. It's, it's easily the most relevant fight on the card. Uh, I mean, maybe yeah. the, the, the Hioki-George uh, Root fight because if Hioki wins and looks impressive, maybe they slot a, uh, a title fight with him against Jose Aldo in at the, the Japan show. But those, that's kind of a lot of, a lot of what-ifs there. We know... Yes, but we're not going to talk about what it's going to do to the pay-per-view buy rate. So, yeah, we we know that the winner of Donald Cerrone, Dennis Seaver, is uh, one big step closer to a title shot at uh, 155. Uh, I think Cerrone is probably the guy that UFC would hope would win, but I mean this is a tough matchup. Uh, I think people are just assuming that if the fight hits the mat, Cerrone has the big advantage in the submission game, but Seaver is a, a 
big 155. He's got those big shoulders. He's got a wide body. Uh, he's he's proven he's really hard to. Yeah, he's he's proven really hard to not only take down but but keep down. Uh, and the the loss of Melvin Gillard to Joe Lozon, I think, certainly opens the door for the winner of this fight to to kind of slide into that spot and, and make their case as maybe not the next challenger line, but maybe with one more fight after that, uh, you know, then they're 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 right in the mix, as Dana White would say. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm think with back you. to New Year's Day when 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 the WEC was completely done. People were wondering if any of the the WEC lightweights other than Anthony Pettis even deserved to be in the UFC. And hell, two months before that, people were wondering even if Pettis did. I mean, nobody would have thought at this point. Right now, Anthony Pettis is the third most relevant former WEC lightweight in the UFC. Because Ben Henderson, despite losing Pettis in fight of the year last year, or one of the top two fights of the year last year, has clearly vaulted ahead of Pettis in the packing order. Cerrone wins this fight. He's moving ahead of, of Pettis in the packing order. Um, and if Pettis doesn't wind up fighting Jolos on, I think a great fight to make if Cerrone wins would be Pettis-Cerrone. I mean, I mean, it's really something to see the way that these three guys are representing their former brand so well. And to go off on a bit of a tangent here, it's not just here that the the W. I mean, uh, the WEC was obviously we we grew very fond of it because it was the platform for the lighterweight fighters. But those guys are all in the UFC now. So you know, Dominic Cruz and Jose all the guys who, who we became familiar with fighting in the WEC. They're UFC champions uh, at, at UFC in the, in the 155 division. Um, I mean, you could you could almost make an argument that the top four guys in, in terms of the title picture right now are obviously Frankie Edgar, the champion, and then Ben Henderson, uh, Donald Cerrone, and, and you know Anthony Pettis with with a comeback win is is going to be right back in the thick of things. I mean, there's there's WEC guys there. The 170. Carlos. Here's the right Condit. term in the mix. In the mix. Carlos Not Condit. in the thick of things. In the mix. Carlos Condit, uh, you know, <laughs> going to get the next shot at George St. Pierre. At 185, Chael Sonnen, who uh, you know was was fighting in the WEC before he came back to the UFC, uh, going to be the next Versus guy. Versus Brian Stan. <laughs> going to take yeah, going to take on the next uh, probably going to be the next guy to take on Anderson Silva. So uh, now, if you can tie Steve Cantwell into this, I'll be impressed. No, I, you know I, I I was thinking about this before, and I was like, uh, even if Brian Stan goes back up to 205, Steve Cantwell, that's I, I don't think Doug the the Rhino Marshall is going to be making a UFC return and, and making some noise against John Jones. So 185 <laughs> is, is really where i got to cap this story off. But, uh, you know, the WEC is, is representing itself very well uh, almost a year after its uh, collapse or closing the door. Another uh, another w- guy who had a lot of success in the uh, WEC, Bart Palaszewski. Segway is also going to be fighting on Spike TV card against Tyson Griffin in a suddenly important featherweight fight. Uh, every single factor of Tyson Griffin's fight, of, of this fight against Griffin, is pointing towards Griffin winning by decision. And then I flash back to Tyson Griffin getting knocked on his ass about a minute and a half into his fight against Takanori Gomi. Um, I've got, I, I mean, all the money is coming in on Tyson Griffin. All the conventional logic says Tyson Griffin, but I can't get the picture of a washed up Takanori Gomi folding him in half in one minute. I mean, am I wrong to think Palaszewski's got more than just a, a weak chance in this fight? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think he doesn't have the one-punch power of a Takanori Gomi. And other than that, I think uh, Tyson Griffin's just better everywhere. Uh, he's he's the stronger fighter. He's He's got the, the thicker body. He's the better grappler. Um, I, I think he's going to dictate where this fight takes place at all times. And 
Uh, I think you know it's it's a 145 fight, so we'll probably see some some fast pace action, some exciting scrambles, but I, I think it's going to uh, all amount to a pretty clear cut decision win for for Tyson Griffin. So you're pretty much discarding the Gomi fight, saying that was the outlier and not the trend. I mean, let, to to try and make the case, if not for Bart Palaszewski, the case against Tyson Griffin is, is yeah, he he was unfinishable, and and then all of a sudden. Gomi folds him. Before the Gomi fight, he lost to Evan Dunham. After the Gomi fight, he lost to Nick Lentz. You know, and then he drops down to 145 and he struggles with uh, Manny Gamburian, who, you know, sorry, you know, might have been the least deserving uh, title uh, fight challenger in the history of, of Zufa, you know, when he fought against uh, uh, Jose Aldo uh, early last year. Yeah, and looking back, he only got that, I don't that buy. fight. Yeah, he starts yeah, to wash up my Tyson Griffin. I, I don't buy into him. I, I I mean, you know, decent guy, good wrestler. You know, used to have fight of the nights all the time. You know, he in his you know three fights against Edgar Guida and Taveras. Those are great fights to watch. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't finish people. Uh, other Hermes Franco was the last guy he finished. That was two years ago. Before that, you got to go all the way back to to before he was in the UFC. That's still his only UFC finish. Whereas Mark. Palaszewski, you know, Bartimus might not have great finishing power, but he has finished more than one guy, you know, which is pretty hard for Tyson Griffin to say. So, I mean, I just can't get the picture of Gomi, of all people, knocking him out, out of my head. That's a, I mean, it's a fair point. I, I'm not necessarily even buying Tyson Griffin as a future title challenger at 145. I'm just not uh, buying Bart Palaszewski against Tyson Griffin. I wouldn't be surprised if Tyson Griffin with a win here and one more win gets a, gets a shot at the title, though. Oh, that'd be a fun massacre right. to watch. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of, of fun massacres to watch, we've we've got some real potential massacres on the uh, the Facebook stream, uh, starting with Brandon Vera versus Elliot Marshall. Uh, if ever we're going to see Brandon Vera begin his reign as both light heavyweight and heavyweight champion at the same time. Elliot Marshall's is world to her. Yeah, this is this is this is it. This is the fifth comeback. Uh everyone knows Brandon Vera is very fortunate to even have a spot in USC right now because in his last fight when he was absolutely destroyed uh by Tiago uh by Tiago Silva, that fight was overturned into a no contest because Silva was higher than a kite. Um, so as a matter of moral obligation, if nothing else, they reluctantly brought Brandon Vera back and then let him sit on the shelf for as long as they possibly could until they booked him against uh, an equally hapless Elliot Marshall. See, this is why I refuse to sell the fight. Uh, if, if, if I have no interest in a fight, I'm going to say I have no interest in a fight. If this is the best fight that they can put on Facebook, maybe they shouldn't be streaming Facebook fights. Yeah, I almost wonder if this will be uh, the first time that we see both the winner and the loser of a fight get cut afterwards. Um, <laughs> I mean, Elliot Marshall, Marshall has a history of horrifically boring fights in the UFC, and, and Brandon Barrett has not been much better in his last uh, five years or so. So uh, I almost feel like it's a bit of a conspiracy, the UFC mashing these guys up against each other. And, you know, after the crowd boos for 15 solid minutes, they go, you know what, uh, we don't really have much use for you guys anymore. 
Yeah, I, I just can't work up any more enthusiasm about talking about this fight, so I'm going to move on from this one. I, I mean, this is Vera's fight to win. I mean, let's be honest about it, because like I was saying earlier about Matt Mitrione, they're, they book fights with an intention, and they're intending on getting Brandon Vera a win here. Or they're intending on getting him out the door. What the hell do I know? Uh, so Chris they can match him up with versus, Silva again. Yeah. Uh, if you can come up with more than five words on Chris Camosi versus newcomer Francis Carmone, feel free. I can't. Uh, Carmone trains with George St. Pierre. That's all I got. All right. We got a winner. Francis Carmone easily in this fight. Dustin Jacoby versus Clifford Starks. If you can come up with Francis four Robert. words on this one. Pardon? Uh, somebody don't must go. That's all you got to know. <laughs> oh, there you go. Thank you. Uh, a, a little uh, Martina, Joe Martinez reference there. Right. And in the fight that I'm most looking forward to, Duke Rufus uh, fighter Danny Downs is going to be fighting against uh, Ultimate Fighter runner-up. And how's that for damning with faint praise? Ramsey Nisham. Uh, I didn't watch one second of, of the Tony Ferguson season, you know, the Bach versus JDS, so I know nothing about Ramsey um, other than what I've read in the last week, which is that he's probably the bigger, bullier fighter, and he's going to try to bully Danny Downs around. Um, Downs, obviously, very technically proficient, uh, could use more muscle in his frame, and, and has the heart of a lion, but the athleticism that might not be up to par for what's needed to compete kind of reminds me of a, you know, as far as, as that weakness goes, kind of a, of a Alex Caceres type, not in style of fighting, but the fact that they seem, you know, underdeveloped, you know, in their musculature for the weight class. Does, does, are, are you going to hurt me and wound me and tell me that this looks like uh, Ramsey Nijem's fight to win? I do think it is uh, Nijem's fight to win. I, I did watch most of that season. I saw him fight several times. He's a, he's a talented grappler with uh, better hands than were expected, and he, he kind of improved uh, a good bit throughout the show uh, on his striking. I think he holds his own against downs on the feet, uh, and I think once he gets them down, he, he probably taps them out. So you don't see this one going three rounds? you think that even though Jeremy Stevens wasn't able to, to tap him after taking his arm off of his body, that, that Nijin's going to be able to? That's why you go for chokes. Ah, touche. So, so other than uh, Hoop, or, uh, <laughs> Hoop versus Hayoki, uh we've discussed the entire UFC 137 pay-per-view. Uh, we're going to be joined in a few minutes by Brian Heminger of MMA Mania, who's going to help us break down the Roop hayoki fight. He's also going to talk about the, uh, the rest of the fights in the upcoming Bellator tournaments, uh, starting with this weekend's, I think, epic fight between Ben Askren and Jay Haran. Um, before, we, before he joins us... Uh, Let's talk about a little other uh, some ends, you know, odds and ends that have come up, come across this week. Uh, starting with uh, something that Jamie told me about that I missed while I was in my uh, self-imposed hiatus from MMA news. One one of my favorite fights of all time, George Santiago versus Kazuma Saki too last year. Uh, George Santiago came went 0 2 in his return to the UFC and got himself cut. Um, I would have thought that he's valuable in the lower ranks of the middleweight division, even after, you know, pulling his own two stunts. He looked awful against Brian Stan. He looked awful against Amy Amaya. I mean, that was one of my least favorite fights of all time and most shockingly passive fights that I've ever seen anybody fight. But as thin as UFC's middleweight division is, it's almost heavyweight thin. I think there's a place for George Santiago in that division, at least for one more fight, don't you? I mean, I mean, if Akiyama stays at 185, who wouldn't want to see Akiyama versus Santiago? Yeah, I, I, and I think that's the, the the perfect matchup to bring out the best of George Santiago. I mean, he's he's a guy that thrives in getting into crazy firefights with people. Uh, he couldn't really 
he was outgunned a little bit against Brian Stan. Uh, Brian Stan's uh, chin was going to be the difference there because Brian Stan would just stand in front of him with without fear, uh, knowing that he Brian Stan has a chin on George Santiago. Exactly. Uh, and against Demi Maya, it was it was an odd fight. Uh, I, I don't know. I think just Demi Maya just must have taken him out of his his game a little bit and, and frustrated him uh, at every step there because that wasn't the George Santiago we're used to seeing. Um, but but I'm with you. I mean, this is a guy who who was brought in as a, a top ten middleweight, and and I still feel he's a, a top fifteen middleweight in the world. He just got matched up with two really good fighters uh, and maybe some bad matchups. But there's there's certainly a place for him in the UFC's middleweight division. Um, you know, if guys how, like, much, how much of the cut do you think was not that he lost to Damian Maya, but how he fought in defeat against Damian Maya? That was my I, least favorite performance of the year. Yeah, I, I think that's got to be a lot of it. Maybe it's a, a message from the UFC. They Maybe they went to him and said, look, that's that's not what we brought you in for. You know, go out and, and – and win a couple fights uh, like you did before we brought you in, and, and we'll have you back. But, uh, you know, if you're going to be just going out there and, and not really putting forth the uh, the effort that you, you did to, to get yourself here, then there's no reason for us to keep you around. I, I, I have to think there's a place for George Santiago in the UFC, uh, and maybe this is just a, a message. Maybe this is just a, a one-fight thing, you know, go out and, and two months from now and, and win impressively and, and come back and then show us what you're really made of. And like I said, middleweight is extremely thin. Part of the reason that Chael Sonnen is going to be getting the next title shot, most likely, against Anderson Silva, is not simply because he runs his mouth off better than anybody. It's not just because he was winning the first four rounds against Silva when they fought in August of 2009. But who else is there? Either Michael Bisbing or Mark Munoz, and Mark Munoz has exactly negative 3.6% chance of beating Anderson Silva, and Michael Bisping has exactly negative 3.2% chance of beating Anderson Silva. So there's and, – and if you're going to have Anderson Silva fight against middleweight contenders he's already fought, who, is Dan Henderson going to beat Anderson Silva? Probably not, although he's probably the most likely, but he's fighting at 205. You know, he's already booked against Shoga. You know, um, to where some of the other guys he's, he's fought at, at, at 185, uh, Calis isn't coming back anytime soon. Damian Maya's never getting an, another shot at him. Rich you know, Franklin. There's nobody. Pardon? Rich Franklin. Yeah, Rich, Rich Franklin's out until the summer. He's not dropping down to 185 for that fight again, I'll tell you. So there's nobody more credible to, to give that title shot to than Chael Sonnen. Love him or hate him. You know, there aren't too many people who are on the fence about Sonnen, and, and that helps to sell. So he's got the fact that he's the highest-ranked middleweight remaining. He's got the fact that people want to pay money to see him win or lose. And he's got the fact that of the guys that ha- have lost Anderson Silva before, his was easily the most credible performance. There's nobody else that they can put in there, is there? No. Uh, and, and that's what happens after that fight. If Anderson Silva beats uh, Chael Sonnen again... I mean, do we really need to see Anderson Silva, Michael Bisping? I mean, it, it might go over, you know, it might be a big deal. They may make a big deal of it in, in the U.K., but other than that, I mean, that's – I could not imagine a title fight I would have less – a, a, a feasible title fight that I would have less interest in than that. I, I don't even give Michael Bisping a negative 3.2% chance to beat Anderson Silva. 
So, so, and that's yeah. that's the next in line. I mean, who's uh, we're not going to see him fight Vitor again. So, no, that's the other one I was forgetting. Ed Soares wants to say Chael Sonnen deserves to be in the back of the line. You know, most likely because he was the last guy to to lose to him. So you should be high. You know, like like we go chronologically here. Like Nate Warquart should be getting the next shot or something. Like Chris Lieben should be getting the next shot or something. But. He refuses to say, as far as refuses to say, well, then who should be the next guy? You know, I don't think anyone's ever ever just asked him point blank, or if they have, they haven't published the answers because I haven't seen it anywhere. You think Ed Suarez understands that Kale, Chael's the next guy, and since Chael's being just such a raging Deutsche Bank that he's at least trying to make sign and sweat, and he knows all along, yeah, that's the fight that's going to be made, and, and he knows that's the fight that should be made. Well, saying Chael Sonnen's at the back of the line is like... Uh... Somebody losing their virginity and saying it was the best sex I've ever had. It's also the worst sex you've ever had, <laughs> technically. Uh, and so Chael Sonnen might be at know? the end of the line, but he's also at the front of the line because there is literally no line of challengers for Anderson Silva. He's beaten them all, and there's no big guns, you know, coming up the the ranks right now. Uh, I mean, Alan Belcher is that is that where we've gotten to? That he's going to be the the next viable guy that that we can throw in there against Anderson Silva? I mean, that's it. It's Chael Sonnen. And, and we finally well, that, had a guy that would that, be even worse. The the way that I described BJ versus Nick Diaz, where everything Diaz does well, BJ does better. That would be the exact same thing. Everything Belcher does, Anderson Silva does better by a scale of forty-two. And Belcher would just run headfirst into the beating too. So hey, yeah, maybe there's, there's that to look forward to. Yeah, Bel- Belcher's best chance of winning that fight. Would would be to like grab Silva's leg, uh, and then direct Silva's leg into his own groin as hard as he can, and then fall down in pain, and then at least go for the no contest. You can just do that five times and uh, get a draw every round. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Maybe he can poke himself in his own eye and say Anderson Silva did it, and then hope to to get a uh, Anthony Johnson, uh, Kevin Burns decision in his own favor. Um, still waiting on Brian Heminger, uh, but. It, seeing as how he is a little bit late this evening. We're going to transition into a uh, little Bellator conversation. Sorry to put you on the spot, Matt. I realize the only thing you like talking about Bellator more is K1, but that's exactly what we're going to do. But we have a phenomenal fight uh, going on at Bellator 56 at Memorial Hall in Kansas City on Saturday night, live on MTV2 in standard definition on Saturday night. Uh, ben Askren, hands down the best wrestler in MMA. Chael Sonnen be damned. There's no better MMA wrestler and there's no better re- wrestling credentials in the sport than Ben Askren taking on uh, Jay Haran, who is easily the best fighter that Ben Askren's ever had to face in his career. Uh, ben Askren's style of victory is get you down, stay on top of you, and, and try and grapple for 15 minutes for submission. And if you're the best in the world at what you do, there is no reason for him to change. I firmly believe he has the ability to get Jay Haran down anytime he wants to, and he also has the ability to, therefore, to keep the fight on his feet if he is so inclined. Uh, I think he's smart enough just by listening to him talk that he understands that he's never going to be a particularly good kickboxer, and the way to win fights is to get the guy down and stay on top of him. He's got decent grappling credentials as far as his jits go, uh, and I really think that that he can finish this fight uh, by submission against Jay Haran. I don't really see a path to victory for Haran, short of Ben Askren going for a double leg and getting caught with either a knee or a punch out of the, out of nowhere. Um, are you on page with me, or do you think that, despite the, how huge this fight is for the company, that there's only one way it can play out? 
I actually I, I favor uh, Ben Askren in this fight, but I give Jay Huron a much bigger chance than you do. Uh, I don't right. think it's going to be as easy as I don't think it's going to be as easy as Askren just shoots in and and uh, takes him down and goes you know funky wrestling all over him for five rounds. Uh, I, I think a uh, I, I give Huron the advantage in the the gas tank department. Although you know we've seen Ben Askren even when he gets a little tired. Uh, just that natural aptitude of his wrestling, like he can just keep doing that over and over and over again. The only thing is, we've seen him doing that against guys like you know Nick Thompson and Dan Hornbuckle, guys who are not great wrestlers. Uh, Jay Huron is a very good wrestler, certainly not on the level of Ben Askren, obviously, but I think he may be good enough that even if he gets taken down for at least the first couple rounds, he can do a good job getting back to his feet. I, I think the cardio is going to play a huge factor in this fight because... If if Huron comes into this fight in better shape, I think he can start shrugging off takedowns in rounds three, four, and five, and I think he's going to be the vastly better uh, kickboxer, despite the fact that Jay Huron is not a great kickboxer. I think Jay Huron is above average in basically all you know facets of the game, and it puts him him squarely as being a top fifteen, top twenty welterweight in the world. He's just been toiling away uh, in cards and in fights that people have not really seen so much of. He's he's never going to dazzle you with his finishing ability. Uh, he doesn't do any one thing fantastically great, but I think he does enough things well that he can give uh, Ben Askren some real trouble if he can just uh, basically win, win the, the cardio battles. If he can uh, tire Ben Askren, if he can make Ben Askren work hard enough uh, with his wrestling in the first couple of rounds that he can take advantage in rounds three, four, and five, uh, I can see Jay Huron uh, winning a decision in this fight. That being said, I think Askren will be good enough uh, with his wrestling to win at least three rounds out of this fight, if not uh, four or all five. But I, I don't see a finish in this fight either way. I think we're getting uh, five rounds of, of grappling and scrambles with uh, the slight edge for me going to Ben Askren. All right, here's a completely subjective question. Are you looking forward to this fight? Yes, I am absolutely looking forward to seeing what Ben Askren can do against easily the best opponent that he's face so far because ever since I, you know we've seen Ben Askren come into Bellator and, and just kind of run roughshod through his opponents despite being uh, you know very new to the sport uh, I, I was intrigued uh, as soon as I saw him at the possibility of him being the one to uh, out wrestle George St. Pierre in a fight so uh, I think you know this will be a, a big measuring stick fight for him if he can't if he can't impose his will on Jay Huron, then he's not as far along as I hoped he would be, and maybe we'll never, you know, reach that point to where a fight with George St. Pierre would be, uh, you know, feasible. Uh, as promised, we are joined uh, tonight by uh, our guest, uh, Brian Heminger from MMAmania.com. Uh, Brian, we got a little bit into the uh, conversation about uh, Jay Huron versus uh, Ben Askren on Saturday night at Bellator 56. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for uh, coming on and joining us tonight. <laughs> oh, man, I- I'm so sorry. I got completely caught up doing something. I- I'm that guy now. I always complain you're, about you're, you're, you are officially on our shit list. Fortunately, we've uh, forgiven you already. Um, well, I want Break down the fight from a technical standpoint for us. Is this sim- simply going to be Ben Askren's effort to get on top and grapple for 15 minutes or 25 minutes, excuse me, or is he or is he going to do something else? Is he going to try and keep the fight standing since he clearly has the ability to let the fight be wherever he wants it to be? 
Well, yeah, that is the biggest advantage you can have is being able to put the fight where you want to be, where you want it to be. But with in Askren's case, uh, as, as he did when he talked to us uh, over on Bloody Allah Radio earlier in the week, he still has a long way to go in terms of submissions and striking. You know, on, on a technical standpoint, the submissions are better. I think he's a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He, he does have submissions in his game, but... His striking definitely has a long way to go. Uh, I think uh, Dan Hornbuckle made fun of me. He said he hit with like a girl. He, he's still got a ways to go with his striking. Um, if he wants to beat Jay Heron, he needs to get the fight to the ground and get on top. Um, you know, you've seen uh, Jay knock people out standing. He does have power. He does have technique. I mean, it, he may not be quite as, you know, ferocious as he's made out to be at times, but but Jay Huron is, is definitely a solid striker. So if Ben Askren wants to win this fight, he needs to get inside, take him down, and keep him down. And, you know, maybe he can. If he wants to strike, Jay Huron needs to strike while he's on the ground and just beat on Jay Huron's face from above. Can he submit Jay Huron? It's a possibility. I mean, he has been working. Uh, granted, I think... Uh, he couldn't submit Nick Thompson, but Nick Thompson's a pretty tough guy. He's pretty uh, adept in the submission game. But uh, if Ben Askren can wear Jay Heron down, I think he could submit him. There's a, there's a possibility. I mean, he he had uh, Ryan Thomas in a in a guillotine. Uh, granted, that was like really controversial and everything. And he did win by submission in some of his first fights. I think uh, with the way that he's improved uh, working at Duke Rufus's gym. If he gets a position and and has been working on advancing his position, he can definitely get a submission. If you were setting the line in Vegas on the odds of a finish in the first two rounds, where would you set that line on either fighter finishing the fight in the first ten minutes? Um, I think if Jay Heron wins this fight, it has to be a finish early. So I would say the odds, at least the line, probably like, plus 800, plus 1,000. I mean, that is pretty much Jay Huron's best method, almost only method of victory is to knock Askren outstanding because I don't see him winning a decision. I don't see him submitting him. I mean, if he's going to win, he's going to somehow stuff his takedowns and, and punch him in the face. So probably plus um, 800 or so. Matt, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll let you uh, clean this up for, for uh, Brian, but you... Uh, tell Brian how you were positing that that Haran could win this fight by taking it into the late rounds, and see what Brian has to say about that. My my feeling is Jay Huron is the best wrestler that that we've seen Ben Askren face in his Bellator run, uh, and not that obviously he's he's anywhere near the level of wrestler that Ben Askren is, but he's certainly better than a guy like Dan Hornbuckle. While they're you know Jay Huron and Dan Hornbuckle are probably relatively same level of quality fighter at welterweight, they're completely different fighters. Uh, I, I feel like Jay Huron, I, I'm with you. I think that, uh, you know, his best method would probably be to uh, finish in the first couple rounds. I just don't see it happening. So his only other option, I think, is to make Ben Askren work hard enough with his wrestling in the first couple of rounds uh, to be able to uh, wear him out and, and then take over in the later rounds. And, and I'm wondering, is, is this the first time that we see Ben Askren get put on his back at some point in this fight and, and see what he has fighting off of his back. Well, I, I don't see Ben Askren go into his back, 
but you do have a point there. Um, granted, uh, Lyman Good didn't have much of a chance against Jay, or against uh, Ben Askren, but in that title fight, I was there, and the end of the fifth round, Lyman Good landed a really good upkick when Ben Askren was kind of uh, lost his form a little bit, was just kind of looming over him, standing over him on the uh, when Good was on his back. So there is a possibility that uh, Askren could uh, let get a little loose and uh, leave an opening for Jay to get a knockout in the, the last round. Granted, Jay's never even been past the third round, so I don't know if how, how good his cardio would be either. I mean, he's been in a couple of title fights uh, in the whole organization, but he's never made it out past the third round in the fight. So that's an issue too. Like, there's a possibility that he could do it in the last rounds, in the later rounds, we just haven't seen him perform there either. So, I mean, that's a big question mark. But I feel like uh, Brian, when we see Ben Askren fight, I, I think you know he's he's his his form and his technique uh, deteriorates as the fight wears on and as he gets a little more tired. But he's been lucky enough to face guys that he's been so much better at what he does. You know, they can't stop what he's doing even when he gets a little bit tired. Uh, I feel like Jay Huron might be the guy who's who's solid enough in all areas to maybe exploit the sloppiness of Ben Askren as the fight wears on. Yeah, it's a possibility, especially, uh, you know, Ben Askren taking people down is hard. If if Jay Huron puts up a lot of resistance early and Jay Huron's cardio holds up, then you could definitely see him stuff some takedowns late in the fight. Uh, ben Askren is not, like, 100% on takedowns. He He does get stuffed occasionally. So if if Jay can can hang in there and the cardio is and his cardio holds up, he could stuff some takedowns late and he could land that uh, that knockout blow or, or a stunning blow, something to turn the tides in his favor. So I think you have a point. Uh, Brian, uh, we've got about four minutes left in the show tonight, and when we were doing our UFC 137 preview in the uh, second half hour of the show. Uh, we intentionally skipped the Hatsu Hayoki versus George Roop fight to let you break that down for us because I know just how much of uh, Hiyoki's, uh fight that you've been watching in your own preparations for your write-ups on MMAmania.com. So what I want you to do is, is introduce uh, listeners who might not have seen Hatsu Hayoki fight as to what he brings to the table, uh, how he can implement his game plan against George Roop, and how you see that fight playing out. Yeah, Hatsu Hayoki, I mean, he's that guy that people just don't know yet, uh, even though, or at least the hardcores know him, but the casual fan just does not know him because he's been fighting in Japan for so long. But he's he's a guy, a legit uh, fighter, and you know, even if he's from Japan or anywhere, uh, I really enjoy watching Hatsuyogi fight. He's uh, he his stand-up's a little awkward, but he's strong enough there that he can hold his own long enough to get a fight to the ground where he wants it. When if he gets a fight to the ground it is going to be one of the most entertaining ground battles that you will see because he is very aggressive. He's very smooth on the ground, too. Like, his transitions to mount are lightning quick, and it's just like he'll just go from uh, half guard or uh, full guard and just flip right through their guard like it, like he's made of, like he's covered in butter right to mount. It is incredible watching him work um, when he's Why on the ground. Let me jump on you real quick. Tell, tell everyone who's listening who might not have seen him why 
we should have more faith in his game to translate coming over from Japan than, say, Michihiro Omagawa, who was a killer at 145 until he came to the UFC, or George Santiago, who's obviously struggled in the UFC after being a killer in Japan. You know, there there are scores of yeah. people who haven't been able to cross over. What makes him different? Yeah, I mean, I've, I bet against, or I picked against every one of those guys when they came to the UFC. But with uh, Hatsuyoki, I think his biggest difference is he's just more well-rounded than those guys. And he's uh, younger, or and he can take a punch. That guy can, can get hit. Um, and the, the other factor, you know, kind of like Aoki, where he is so good on the ground, but his wrestling isn't that great. So if you can stop him, or if you're strong enough like Gilbert Melendez, you can handle him. But with Hiyoki, um he's just really well-rounded. He could hold his own in the stand-up. He can get inside, and his takedowns in the clinch and his trips are really good. And the other factor is, I mean, uh, Kiyoki has been in there against top-notch competition. His two uh, victories over Mark Hominick should be uh, more than a testament to that. Um, so he's been... We've got one minute left here, Brian. So I yeah. uh, hate to cut you short, but tie this into uh, George Roop and how you see the fight playing out in 40 seconds, please. <laughs> All right. George Roop, really long legged guy. guy. I, yeah, I think if Josh Grispy could take George Roop down in the first round and almost finish him, uh, Hatsu Hiyoki should be able to, to actually take him down and finish him in the first round. I think Hatsu, what, granted, uh, Roop is a, a bit of a, a wild card. I mean, he does stop and, and step it up against top competition, but I see Hiyoki getting a submission, kind of like uh, George Sotaropoulos was able to do it. Very similar build. And what would be Roop's best path to victory? Oh, he's got to stay on the outside and use his range, just like what he did against Grisby and uh, just like what he did against uh, the Korean Zombie. Well, Brian, I want to thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, tonight. Hopefully we can talk to you again next week because I was really hoping to get time to talk about the uh, Saunders-Lima fight in Bellator next mm-hmm. week. Uh, we've got... Ten seconds left, so time to sign off. Uh, for our guest, Brian Heminger, and my co-host, Matt Helke, I'm Rich Hansen. Uh, join us next week on Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. Thank you very much, and good night, everybody.